Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucknarians? How's it going, man? Women? Children? You letting your kids listen to this? How's it going? I, um, I'm okay. The quarantine thing is pretty solid. We're dug in. We're dug in over here. I have to start saying we, because there's been an issue that we're going to get into in a minute. Today on the show, I talked to Kathy Valentine, who is a bona fide go-go. A go-go. I talked to a go-go. And I think people really got to remember just how fucking huge the go-go's were. I mean, they were the first kind of big-ass, mainstream, all-on, full-on rock band. Women. All women. And they were the real deal, man. I remember. I remember that record. Kathy Valentine, the bass player, who was actually a guitar player before she went into the go, still plays guitar, obviously. She's written a book called All I Ever Wanted. It uh, comes out uh, next Tuesday, March 31st. It's good, the rock and roll story. But, you know, it's also about self-realization, about dealing with, you know, one's parents and the past. I mean, it's just, she lived quite the life because her mom was sort of a free spirit type back in the 70s late 60s parents were divorced i don't know it was good it, it's texas austin texas all the makings of a good memoir but i'll talk to her about that uh in a bit but how are you guys holding up i mean it's becoming pretty clear that there's a movement within the uh government within the country that really thinks that money's the most important thing and we should all be willing to lose our grandparents. That, uh, you know, hey, man, adapt or die. We got to keep this thing going. We got to keep selling stuff. We, gotta, this, we can't have this economy bottom out because then we're, we're going to have no choice but to vote for Bernie. He's the only guy who's going to know how to build it back up. Make the, make the people connect again. If there's, if there's no economy... God knows what. Who knows what's going to happen? All I know is that listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors, and if you live in a good state, they're not going to send you out there into the eye of the fucking storm of sickness. This is what they mean. It's going to be state by state. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. 
with this big gamble. Hey, man, you know, who needs old people? We got to keep the, you know, we got to keep the engine going. They're not bringing a lot to the table. It's easier than getting rid of Medicare and Social Security if we just let the old people die. I mean, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth here, people. Come on. That's a point of view happening out there. So, hope you're hanging in there, New York City. Sounds like you're the uh, tip of the spear here in this country that's going to sort of be unfolding in all the cities of the country with any amount of people in them, one after the other, some all at once. My mother's down in Florida. I'm checking in with her pretty frequently. There's no way that that's not going to become a shit show of virus. And that fucking governor, he's not doing nothing. Zilch. Zero. Belligerence in the face of the germ. Hell of a gamble, people's lives over what? Come on, it's okay to go in the water. Look, the thing is, most of you know that I've been dating this woman, Lynn Shelton, who directs movies. She also directed my last two comedy specials, a couple episodes of Marin, a couple episodes of Glow, but that was before we started doing this thing. Well, she was working on something in Boston. She's living down here in L.A. now. She's getting her house set up when she went to Boston, but that got canceled. Now she's back here, and she's been in my house you know, for fucking weeks. But she did have a good point, and I think it's something we all need to talk about. And... We'll, we'll we'll get to it. But we've been watching a lot of movies. Probably going to get into some comedy tonight. I've, we haven't watched much comedy. Taylor Tomlinson, I, I'm watching that. And Segura's got one. There's a nice little cluster. I think Taylor's was out earlier. But there was a nice little cluster that I'm happy to be part of. I think I was the, the first one uh, on Netflix. It was It's me, Bert Kreischer, uh, who's a friend of mine. I did his uh, podcast recently. I've watched a bit of his special. Segura came out the other day. Me, Kreischer, Segura, and I think there's a Dalia one coming. I'm not sure. Segura's special is called Ball Hog. Kreischer's is Hey Big Boy. But I know all these guys. I like Tom. I'm going to watch his tonight. I spend my life watching comics, but usually for 15 minutes because I'm not a middle act anymore. So I see everyone for just the right amount of time. 15, 20 minutes. Perfect. Because I'm not a feature act. I have to sit through the headliner. Now, Lynn Shelton uh, is staying with me here at the house. And, you know, we're getting through this together. And um, she like listens to the podcast now i don't understand that i get it it's nice she was a fan before you know we started whatever we're doing but like i'll do the podcast like this one comes out today and by the end of the day she'll be like well that was nice what you said about me like i'm like what are you doing like i'm with you all day long and now i'm with you and you have you're listening to me I mean, it's a little weird, but I've dealt with it before, but usually not in the same fucking house. So it's good, though. I'm glad that you like me. What Lynn Shelton is in the room right now. 
which I can acknowledge, which is part of the problem because the other day she listened and she was kind of like, there was something wrong. You know, we haven't been seeing each other that long, but this thing is really, you know, a day is a week. In relationship time and quarantine, one day equals one week. So I can tell when there's something wrong. And I'm like, what's going on? So I don't know. See, I'm still talking like you you weren't here, which is part of the problem. So what was the problem the other day? Lynn Shelton, the dire- film director, director of me uh, in several different projects. All right, so what happened? So I... I, you know, have to wait till you're out of the room or we're in different floors yeah. to listen to your podcast because yeah. you don't like to hear yourself. So, yeah. so I think you were downstairs making breakfast and I was upstairs in the bathroom and I turned on the, I was taking a bath or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. And I was listening to your intro for Monday yeah. and, um, you know, you started out with this nice message about, you know, trying to make sure that to the people about how they should stay connected to each other yeah. and, you know, reach out to people who might be, you know, in in need and all this and sort of talking, you know, about in general, like what it's like life uh, and under quarantine. And then you painted this very detailed portrait of your life in quarantine. And, you know, the thing is that specific in that particular context, it struck me (laughs) because I think it's really, it's got to be a really different experience to be, actually isolated and completely alone right right and some people are and i know people who are and who are really feeling extra disconnected from other people Uh and i particularly i'm specifically grateful to have somebody to be going through you know with this oh my god who's that who are you with the hammer Uh, you oh i'm with you and um and so I just it was it particularly struck me because as you were painting this portrait of your life yeah it just sounded like you were all by yourself. You're, is that really true, though? It is. You said I. Every you said, like I'm. I'm. I'm stockpiling on a food. Yeah. Doing a lot of cooking. Yeah. I'm reading. Well, I'm not really reading that much, but I am. Uh, you know, I'm watching. I saw a great movie last night. Cassavetes, yeah. right. uh, uh, killing a Chinese bookie. Um, you know, I did, I did do um, all those things. You did. You I did. did. And I and I'm spending you know a lot of time with my cats. Did, <laughs> did I say that? Yes, that was how you wrapped it up, and I was like, huh, that is so curious because. <laughs> He just sort of, does he not know I'm here? Like, have I just become so sort of a part of the furniture that, that he doesn't now even that, register no, my presence? That, no, <laughs> that, see, this is a, this is an interesting conversation because, you know, I have this, I'm who I am on the mics and all the things I said were true. You just, you were there as well. And... I'm not that disassociative, okay? I I know that you were there. Uh-huh. I know we cooked the stock. You did the big stock. Mm-hmm. I know that we've been eating food together. We we're cooking. We're eating popcorn. We're watching movies. We're both you know dealing chatting. with the cats. We're chatting. We're doing the stuff you know the dirty stuff. You know we're doing you know I we're having a full life here in quarantine. Too full, even a lot of time to fill. I'm getting work done out here, but mostly, you know, you're in the house, I'm up here, you're meditating, whatever. The issue is, yes, you're here and and I'm experiencing that. Why? The question is, why did I not acknowledge that more thoroughly? 
Well, I take, all you need to do is just say we. That's all. An occasional we. I am my own man. And now I will explain to you what that's about is I'm in the habit of that because, and I really think it is a habit. You know, once I get out here and I get on these mics, this is my experience with my listeners. And I think I am being honest. But the reason that I do that by habit is the last two women I've been with, they didn't want to be part of this. You know, they wanted to have their lives or have some control over how they're depicted, you know, publicly. Over the time, I've gotten into the habit of of doing that. It's you can you're right. You can do whatever you want. You're totally not beholden. I understand to... why you're upset about it, and I and I and I think you're right. And I'll try to integrate it. But I think That's some okay. of it was also me protecting myself against the inevitability of everything being ruined. Like you know. Well, it... I remember. I remember if you listen to the arc of of your podcast over the years. Yeah. There was, I believe, I believe a time when you were perhaps where you got in trouble because you revealed too much right you would tell a story from a relationship that well yeah but you know but anything's too much but the thing is it's like uh, okay so we're having this thing and it's good and we're having a nice time and you know we you know we both broke up with people and you know there's a story you know there's backstory but whatever but the truth is is that the more publicly you live your life here the more i talk about it if it goes wrong, if it goes bad, it's a heavy trip. Now, obviously, you know, I'm not going to, you know, people knew about my last relationship, even though it wasn't that we didn't, I didn't talk about, you know, every, about her a lot. Specifically, I talked about us a bit, but then when it ends then all of a sudden you got to figure out, well, how do I handle this? And I had to do it very respectfully and not bringing her into it hardly at all. And that's the way that, that, that went. So like when we break up, it's going to be a fucking disaster. Because now, <laughs> now look, everyone knows your laugh. Now you're on the show. They know we went through quarantine together. We made soup. And then when it all goes to shit, they're going to be like, is that the one you made soup with during quarantine? Yep. But it sounded like you really liked her when you had her on that time. I know, but you know things go wrong. Well, what went wrong? What, is it that important? Yeah, we all knew her. Everyone knows her. <laughs> Your mom will be angry at you. My mom is like, are you still with her? Yeah. Are you still in love? Yes, everything's going good. I that's She's amazing. How is she doing? How is she putting up with that? How is she still with you? She's really leaning into it too. Like I've been like in the last relationship, she wasn't like that. But now she's sort of like, really? Like what? Is, what's with the tone? All right. So look, I um. Were you a GoGo's fan? I was a giant GoGo's fan. Yes. Listen to me segueing like it's a fucking radio show. Because <laughs> you're in luck. Uh, I don't know if you know who Kathy Valentine. Really? Is. Why? Kathy oh. Valentine did. Kathy uh, Valentine. She's here today. That's yeah. amazing. The bass yeah, player from the GoGo's. Yeah, she's here today Holy on the show shit. with you and us. Wow. Yeah, I'm just so that's great. You were a GoGo's fan. Um. It's true. You're mm-hmm. going to hear me talk to uh, Kathy Valentine shortly, like now. Uh, her memoir is called All I Ever Wanted, which comes out next Tuesday, March 31st, and you can pre-order it now. The Go-Go's documentary premiered at Sundance in January. It will be on Showtime later this year. This is uh, me and Kathy Valentine. She was lovely. I gave her tea in the kitchen. You, we're not co-hosting the show. <laughs> 
All right? This is me and Kathy Valentine talking without Lynn here. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. I enjoyed the book, your whole book. I'm really happy. Yeah, that you did. I know. I do. It's and a page I, turner, isn't it? it yeah, can't... I don't usually do that, and uh, and I was curious because usually I'm sort of like, well, what's the angle? You know what I mean? What happened? And uh, you know, I was happy at the end, I, at, at the very last two chapters. I'm like, does she get sober? Is this a happy ending? <laughs> what happens? Yeah, 31 years. But yeah, oh wow, I got 20. It's a good thing. But you did. You definitely waited till the end to to reveal that. You took well, it right to the edge here. Well, I knew that I was going to do like a, an arc. <laughs> yeah. From from 1970 to 1990. Yeah. Because I just thought this tells a story. And that was kind of the end of the story. And also getting back everything I'd lost, but getting to do it sober. Right. Was like a nice little. That was the plan. So yeah. what, but you didn't want to deal with, uh, you, you like from 1990 to now? That's another book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a sequel. Coming. Well, yeah. But first I'm going to do another book or two different ones. So I'm not like just the memoir person. Right. So I'll, but that'll be in the So works. writing something that you, you've taken to and you want to do more yeah, of it Yeah, I want to, I really... I was really surprised, like how many female rock memoirs are out there, and how many people are, yeah. are into them. But sure. but how there's not a lot about music. Like I write a lot about music yeah. and how it was a part of. That's my what life. I love about the book because we have a lot of the same heroes, and you talk to them. I've only talked to a couple, but go ahead. So so, so I would like to do a book where I like. I don't know, like just go talk to different women, like instead of like uh, women who rock. Like right. really talk to them about what music was for them, and oh, right. like, I just feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we all know yeah. what Muddy Waters meant to the Stones and yeah. Buddy Holly, right? And, and yeah, and I don't think a lot of women get to re- tell that part of their story. So that's a book I'd like to do. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you definitely tell a little bit of it, but there, there's moments where I'm a huge Jimmy Vaughn fan. You know? Oh, cool. Yeah, Do you huge. like that part I wrote about him? I love the part about Jimmy, but I also like the part that Stevie comparing him and his brother, where Stevie says when he's playing, he puts everything he's got into it, and when Jimmy's playing, you're only getting about ten percent of what he's capable of. It's so wild. But it's so. But it 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 taught you the definition of making choices about your own style and personality, right? Because like that's how Stevie was, and it was so at odds with who he is. You know, who Stevie? Yeah. Well, like he was just seemed. He was so reserved yeah. and, and humble, right? And like blazing, yeah. 
Um, but I, when I would go see the Thunderbirds a yeah. whole lot, like when Jimmy would see me out in the audience, because yeah. he's known me since I was 16 years old, <laughs> right. he would just like throw in like this crazy like, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and just like for me, and I'd be like, ah. Uh-huh, so to, cool. Oh, to show you that he could do it? Well, no, just kind of like recognizing that. That I was there, and oh, hey, this nice. is for you. So, but okay, so you weren't born in Austin, though. Yeah. I was. Oh, okay. You were born, born in raised. Austin, but your old who was from England? Your mother. My mom. Right. Yeah. My mom was from England, and she ended up in Austin, and is still there, and still complains about it. Yeah. But the whole thing, I mean, I can't imagine what Austin was like at that time. I mean, at Texas, because it was it was it cool. Super cool. Yeah. It was yeah. it was insanely cool, and I I don't know if I would have been a musician if I had been somewhere else. Right, of course not. Yeah. But like I I grew up in in New Mexico, so I remember what it was like being a teenager towards the tail end of the 70s, but you seem to be like right in the middle of it. And it seemed very exciting to me. Yeah, the only part I missed out <laughs> yeah. on was like um the psychedelic era, like I didn't see like the 13th floor elevators and oh, right. and like Billy Gibbons had the moving sidewalks. Oh, and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was this cool psychedelic era that I was too young for. But sure. everything after that. Yeah. And also by the time the 70s, right when you're growing up, everything's just dirty. Yeah. Like, I mean, like the 60s were idealistic. But by the mid 70s, it was just, you know, everybody was just dirty and fucking and doing coke. But that's what was so great about being a teenager <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. It's like, it's like wow. Because then you're a kid. For me, I'm a kid in the 60s. So I have that idealism as right. a kid. Yeah. And then a little the, kid. Yeah. And then I get to be like this in this debauched era where the worst thing that can happen is you get the clap. Yeah. Or And everyone did, apparently, from yeah. what I oh, heard. Yeah. Like, it was just this common thing. Yeah. I missed out on all that. I think. Well, <laughs> there's still time. I, congrats! I don't know. <laughs> so, but like the 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 dynamic, the what happened with um, your folks? Oh, I mean, like what? You, so they when did they get split up? Um, I was. I, I know some of this, but I I, I don't want to lead you because I read the book. But yeah, well, my my folks split up when I was three. Yeah, and uh, my dad, uh, basically, just kind of. Moved away. I hear that so much. Certain dads, they and they start over. I think it was the era. A lot of it, like yeah. this. This was 1962, and the, the what he told me later in life was that he just he said I just figured your mom would marry somebody else, and I'd be in the way, and it was easier for everyone. But it huh. it was terrible for me. Yeah, but that do you believe that? I don't know, but you know, you got to get people a pass. It's just sure. Like, I mean, eventually, yeah. you, you know what I mean. But that seems like uh, how is he the victim? You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, shucks. It'd just be easier for you guys if I didn't get, you know? Yeah, I don't know. know. It's just like... It was horrible, right? Well, I didn't really know it was horrible until my 30s. And and I wrote about this. It's like I was with a friend and I was watching her little three-year-old run from her mom to her dad. And all of a sudden it was like this light bulb, like... I, this kid would notice if the dad wasn't there. Right. So I called my mom, and I was like in my 30s. I'd been sober about five years. I'm like, hey, mom, what did I do when, when y'all got a divorce? I'd never asked her yeah. in all that time. And yeah. she said, oh, it's horrible. You'd sit on the steps and wait for him to come home, and you'd see a car that you thought was his, and it would just drive by, and you would sob. And I was oh like, and I was like, I could, I didn't remember that. And, but know. it's part of your heart. It's in there. It's uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so heavy. Did it's, that make you cry when she told you? Uh, I cried a lot writing this book. I, I, I cried reading the book. Did you? Yeah, of course. I cried doing the audio book a couple of weeks ago. There was one part. Did they leave it in? 
I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. But the, the engineer, the, yeah. the producer was Skyping in from New York. The engineer was in the other room. Yeah. And there was one part where we were all just like sobbing. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I kind of don't think they should leave it in. That's awkward. Well, I mean, the parts where you cry are, are, they're not bad cries. You know what I mean? They're not tragic cries. They're actually cries of uh, sort of like connection. And, and usually it's, it's the, when I cry, it's when the good things happen or, or, yeah. or surprising, uh, you know, reconnections or that kind of stuff. Yeah, or, and you're just or being moved. Get, sure, right. And the getting sober thing, I always that always gets me. Yeah. The, you know, the, the kind of realizations that one has, that, that moment that people... Uh, that you know, sort of get it, you know. I get like if I'm at a meeting, man, that, that I'm just wired to cry at that that moment in those stories where the hand is, of AA is there. What do they moment. call it? They call it the um, what do they call it when um, like oh the Eskimo uh-huh. that like the person that like oh. almost like makes you go oh maybe I should quit. Right? Oh, is that what they call them? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, I that, those stories always get me. But, but so, so you're on your own with your mother, and the way you characterize her is like, uh, as you know, this very kind of self, you know, serving person that didn't really know how to behave like a parent. Yeah, um, writing the book did wonders for my relationship with my mom because I, I not only was able to kind of process everything she didn't yeah. do, but it also made me see what was good, you know? Uh, that's important. And it kind of just let me process, and and um, I don't know, my heart has opened up to her in a way that before I had a lot of resentment, and I've, I'm, I'm always there for her, and it's just me and her. It's yeah. always been just me and her. Right. But um, sometimes I would be like, you know, damn, like, couldn't you have, like, taken care of business a little, like, and... Like you're older now, and yeah, and I'm the one that's make. I'm the reason you're not on on the street and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it's just the right thing to do sometimes. And family is family, and and there's a lot of who I am. And I said to her the other day, I was like, Mom, if you hadn't raised me the way you did, and I hadn't gone through that stuff and been thrown out there on my own like that, I would have had a boring book. So that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've grown to in sobriety believe. That's true. That you know, you did get good things from them. Do you know to separate them? Yeah, it's hard though. It's really hard, especially when you're. I'm raising a, a like. There were so many times in the book where my daughter was the same age that I was writing, and I'm like, for Christ's how sake! How does that have an impact on you? Because like you know, the '70s, but not the '70s. You were surrounded by you know predatory dudes who were cool. But you know they were what they were, and the environment was sort of forgiving or 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 uh, without any sort of um, uh, you know parental guidance even from your parents, and there was drugs around. But yeah, I mean you talk about these dudes coming and going, and you're a kid. Yeah. I mean, what is it like to look at your daughter when she's 15, knowing that you were sleeping with a 38 year old? I know it's it's well like we had very different. Um different childhoods and she's she's parented and and um it's but just they look like real kids don't they i mean she's a kid when you look at someone 15 well that's what i was processing it's like and there's a part in the book where i'm talking to my mom going like what were you thinking you know what were you doing yeah. and and like i i just kept thinking about me as a mom and my daughter having yeah. to go through that stuff that yeah. I did and it's it was it's wild crazy yeah and those dudes are still around what were you just saying <laughs> <laughs> that you saw some of those guys names in oh another story? yeah like I was reading the Janis Joplin book and and 
in Janice's early days yeah. in Port Arthur, there was a crew of guys she hung out with, right. and I was just like flipping out because like one one guy, I'm like, oh geez, I had an affair with that guy when I was 15, and he must have been like 40 or something. And then there was another guy I've known since I was like three years old that was, he was like, he was with Janis Joplin and hanging out, all, and I didn't know that. Yeah. But I have my own like memories, so it's weird to just read a book and see these connections. Sure, between you and Janice. Yeah, like the, like the guy experience. that like was with her. Yeah. Like I remember being a little girl and seeing like a stack of Playboys in his bathroom when we were there visiting and looking through him and I'd never seen like that. Anything. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they doing? And it was at his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went home and I remember I went in the closet and like like took off my clothes and like posed like that. And like, cause I was like, what? It, it wasn't sexual. It was right. just like con- yeah. curious. Like right. what yeah. are these women doing? And yeah. why are they doing it? And I'm gonna go see what it's like. Yeah, and how was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of scary. I was like the thought of somebody coming in. Oh finding yeah. Me. So that was your mom's boyfriend for a no, while? No, no, he was uh. just a, a family friend, but I've known him since forever. And you, and you started doing drugs really young as well, right? I mean, I mean yeah. how would you not? So your mom was sort of into it? Well. For a little while, like it was always there. For a little while, I was smoking pot, and like for me, the summer between, uh, I guess I was twelve years old. Yeah. Every, everything like exploded. 12. I started smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I started drinking um, Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. Oh yeah, and that was my gateway drug, and it was disgusting. I mean, I would, I would take a, a drink and and retch and vomit and Boone's then guzzle more. Right. And it was, it was really the first time that I felt. A that I felt uh, like I didn't feel. Yeah. I, I like I didn't feel the way I didn't want to feel, and I did feel the way I did want to feel. Right. Just yeah. from that disgusting stuff. Yeah. And, you got the warmth. Yeah, and everybody in in uh, Texas smoked a lot of pot and did a lot of psychedelics, so that's what I had access to. And it was Texas style, mm-hmm. so it's just like you know weird desert shit. Yeah, mescaline. And yeah, yeah. Psilocybin and cowboys. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably had that in Albuquerque, But too. not the same. Yeah, Texas is its own country. You know what I mean? It's its own trip, man. I mean, there was some of it in, in Albuquerque, but it was a little washed out. The the era when the hippies and the rednecks kind of morphed and yeah. the whole co- cosmic cowboy thing was, was super cool. In the early 70s? Yeah. All right, so like, when did you get your first guitar? When was that? Um well, I started I started playing guitar at the at the hippie school that I went to, the commune. And yeah. And I, it didn't occur to me I could like be in a band. Right. I just was like learning guitar, and then I was in in, in England because my mom's English, mm-hmm. and I saw Susie Quattro, and it was the first time I'd seen a woman rock star, yeah. like playing an instrument. I mean, Janis Joplin was a, a rock star, and right. there was it was rock star singers, right. but I'd never seen a woman just like doing just it, just slamming it down. Yeah. So that changed everything, and I was like, that's what I'm going to do, and. Um, I went back and wrote my dad and asked him to help me get a guitar. Well, first I got um, my mom had a boyfriend. Yeah, and he was uh, he moved an electric guitar into our house, and that was the first time I like plugged in. And it was just hanging out there. It was just there, and he was like he was a he'd escaped from Leavenworth Prison, and he was like a, a biker and a and a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, but he also played guitar really yeah. good. So. I was like in heaven. He moves this guitar in. He moves this amp in. He was gives, like a host a stack. Was yeah, it a Marshall? It was, like it was. It was just like this. No, it wasn't a Marshall stack. What was it? 
I forget what it Big was. Big amp? It was just a what giant the guitar? amp. The amp with the guitar he'd made. Oh, wow. He'd made the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the first time I just plugged in and played my E chord that yeah. I knew, and it sounded like that, it it was just really empowering. It was yeah. like, I was like, I'm, it's like magic, right? I'm going to do this forever. I'm never going to not do this. Yeah. So that, from that point on, I was off and running and he showed me how to play. Like my first song was, uh, was Johnny Be Good. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. And I sat there forever just like trying to get, and I'm a lefty, but I played righty. Yeah. So I could do the left hand pretty good. Yeah. And because I'm not real coordinated with my right hand, it was really just about getting that feel. <clears throat> and I just was fixated on that. And then the, the jumping jack flash. <clears throat> and that's what you were doing. That's what I did. And it was the time, right? So those were like, well, jumping jack flash was probably a relatively new song when you were doing that, right? Yeah. What album was wait, that on? That was on uh, Sticky Fingers? Yeah, that was, was a little, it was a little, a little before. I was yeah, 16 yeah. when that right. came out. No, no, I was younger because I. <laughs> Uh, what? As I write in the book, I I I got I look up, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sticky fingers. I like to side one. I basically had sex and yeah. got pregnant. That was the first. Was it? The, was that the first time you had sex? I I thought it was the second time, but it turned <laughs> right. out it was the first time because yeah. it hurt and like so. What I thought had happened the first time it didn't happen. I realized, but. Anyway, you have to read the book, people, because it's it's good stories. Good of course. Stories. Wait, I, are you afraid to talk about it? No, no, I'll talk about anything. Oh, oh. I'm, it's out there. What the hell am I going to do? It's so funny because like, like the book, I, I just demure. read the book, and, you, and you're getting kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like I can still be demure because it's not out, but eventually sure. it's going to be like everyone's going to know. <laughs> but there's also something interesting about saying it and then ta- and writing it, isn't there? It's like there's definitely a big difference. There's a different risk to it. It oh, yeah. feels like, right? Yeah, it's like it's like it's really terrifying because I I've been in bands for my entire adult life since 16 or 17 yeah. and and that kind of means like just being surrounded and in, in, in a insulated like a cocoon. A band is a cocoon. It's a gang and you're just one of of a of a of a club, a member, but to put yourself out there, for, like it's, I'm 61 years old, and right. all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm not just in the background writing a cool song for this, yeah. for someone else to yeah. sing, and it's a little terrifying because even though there's there's people are open and 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 there's accolades and yeah. and praise, but it's also you open yourself up to criticism and like, how could you do that? What when you write? No, just like have, knowing that it's going to come out and people well, are going to read it. It's kind of heavy because, like you know, at reading it. What's interesting is that you know because we grew up in the same time and that your experiences were these experiences. Like I, I imagine that some of the feedback you're going to get uh, around certainly the sexuality is like you know who are these guys? You know, because you know what with the even that that second time you had sex where you you know you lose your virginity. Basically, I mean it does it doesn't sound like. It's consensual, but not in the context of the world we're living in now. And, and it, it was sort of rapey. Well, <laughs> I mean, by today's standards, a lot was. But like, you know, and there is a, a rape chapter. But at the time, I mean, it, it's hard to explain to somebody what the 70s w- was like, really. And it was right after the the sexual revolution sure. of the 60s. Yeah. And, like the first time. I did something with a guy, and he went and told everybody at school, and, and I was miserable. And I went to my mom in tears, and what she said was like, 
you didn't do anything wrong. You did it with the wrong person. Because my mom was more worried about me being hung up about sex than she was worried about the fact that her 12-year-old had had sex. Yeah. It was really, I mean, twisted. by today's standards, it's twisted. But I kind of, for someone that's like like this bohemian free right. spirit that just, she, yeah. that's, that's really how she thought of it. And I don't know. I guess some people it's going to it's gonna sound debauched well, I mean, and well, weird, but well, I mean, it's, it was just how it was. Sure. It, it was happened, definitely the 70s, you know? and which is you know one of the reasons why people have to evolve. You know, and I understand it because, I, I mean, I, I kind of I grew up then. I mean, I wasn't a girl, but it's kind of I remember. The, I mean, we were making out. I think the first time we were, you know, I held boobs was probably seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, seventh grade. And I don't know if that's normal. Is that normal, or was that the time? At the time, it was just like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just seemed it seemed okay. I mean, yeah. it's not like all my friends were doing it, but right. there was there was like a lot of guys hanging around. I mean, well, you also because your house that you grew up in, there was drugs, and your mom was kind of free spirited. I guess is yeah. A nice and way I to was getting and, I was getting high, and you, and you know, were getting high with your mom. Yeah. So that wasn't like so. That's a whole other trip. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was a different type of parenting. Yeah. I have to assume at that time there were people that weren't parenting like that as well. No. Yeah. No. But uh, no, yeah. it's just how it was. How's, and what was that? You got a, your first guitar was a Telecaster. No. Well, yeah, I, I wanted a, a guitar like Keith. So yeah, I, me too. I, I got I get them mixed up, but I either got a deluxe and he played a custom, or I got a custom and he played a deluxe. But what once I realized I had the wrong guitar, I was like, oh well, whatever. But when I saw my Strat hanging in a guitar store I, tr- yeah. I traded that guitar in for it and you traded the deluxe for the yeah, strat yeah and, and you still have it right yeah it's like it was that it was 62 strat it's a 62 strat and it's just like it's just i'm psychotic i i just now stopped taking it out of town to play gigs with because one like i think one time i thought somebody had walked off with it and i lost my shit i was just like it's a huge collector's market now it must be worth a fortune well I was in a car accident with my band. We were playing in West Texas, and somebody rear-ended us, and the neck got—it didn't crack off, but it got a crack, mm. so that always reduces that. Uh, I've uh. glued it back. I don't think it's staying in tune as good. I'm kind of heartbroken about it. Oh, uh, that's hard. But that guitar is just—I don't know how s- something that's— Inanimate could be such a part of you, but it really is. Oh, I, 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 especially if it's your life, it's what you do. It's your you've companion. had it. It just represents whole, yeah. everything. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a the guitar I bought. I bought because of Keith too. I bought a Telecaster. It was my first guitar. It was heavy as hell. Too. Yeah, it was yeah. like an. I don't know what it was made out of, but I, I never pursued it as a life. You know, the well, you're good. Thing. I've heard you play, and I, you could. I want to. I want to play with people more. Um, I'll be in your band. You will? Yeah. I'll come to Austin and play with That'd you. That'd be awesome. I have to I have to learn how to play with people. I play with myself. I think you could. I really I think do you could do it. Because if you just start playing, then people around you are just going to start playing what you're playing. Yeah, I've, I've, sat in with, I've sat in with people and I like it, you know, and I just have to carve out time to make it part of my life. Yeah. So like the through line of the book, like, you know, when I, I really think about, you know, it seems to me that... Yeah, outside of the go-go's when when that happens, you know, that the experience of you kind of like um just you know being cool and stuffing things down and not, you know, responding emotionally to stuff and drugging yourself. That that seemed to you really establish that early on, like at the beginning yeah. of your life. And and it just sort of became like I I, w- I became sort of amazed at the amount of drugs that were going. <laughs> 
that were going on, you know, after a certain point. Let's let's just stay with the bands. What was the first band that you started, right, that you were in? Well, I was kind of, you know, messed up and doing all these drugs. And when, when music came in my life and I decided this is what I'm going to do, it's not like I was all of a sudden I'm pure and, and I'm like, I'm still getting high. I'm still, you know, but... I have a focus and I have, yeah. it's like kind of just like a side trip. It's yeah. like I was really more interested in getting great on the guitar. So I started having bands right away and I put together a, f- a couple in Austin and then I went to England and joined a band there. And uh, and you were like, what, 15 or 16? Yeah, I was like 16 then. And I guess that's when people joined bands. I guess that's when you start doing this. Well, I was at a school where I could do anything I wanted. The hippie so, school. Yeah, so that helped. So I'm playing guitar. There's other kids around. You can do whatever you want at this school. So we started a band. And uh, the school needed benefits, so we had gigs. You right. Know? And then I played with the band in England. And I came back and started a punk band in, in Austin. The first, the first punk band. In right. Austin. That must have been like pretty like the, going back to the like the uh, sex incident and the abortion incident. That was you were twelve. Yeah. And then that kind of like that. I mean, that, that must was have, all the bad shit. It must have fucked your head up bad. Well, right. no, it's not like it. It's not like it fucked my head. It was just that I think it's just. Things that happen that sh- that illustrate how lost and confused I was. And did you? Well, your mom took you to the clinic, or what happened? Yeah, we yeah. flew to California. Oh, that's right. You had to fly to California because it was two years before Roe v. Wade. Oh my God! Yeah. So that's what the future we're looking at now. Well, Again. I, that's why I wrote about it. I, I wrote because I feel like people need to tell their stories and. You know, women so, women that have had abortions. So you were able. You told your mother that you were pregnant, and then you know she. She's like, "Let's take care of that." And she figured out how. Yeah. And you had to fly to California, yeah. and that was the first time you were in California. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of a Inglewood. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's kind of a double edged sword there. You know, you you got to come here, but it was for horrible reasons. Yeah, but to me, it was like, it was just like so much about just like making the problem go away, yeah. and that's kind of like became. My whole life thing was like make the make the problem go away if it's by drinking or right. ignoring it or stuffing it was, down. Was or, the fundamental problem you think uh, your your emotional trauma about like you know just the way you were the dynamic between your you and your mom and your dad kind of splitting? I mean, was there a constant pain? I don't think it was like conscious, but I think that I felt. Um, uncared for mm. and like not like I didn't feel valued mm-hmm. like I think at some deep level I felt like if I mattered to my dad he would come visit me more right. if I mattered to my mom she I but it's not like you're articulating no, of course it. not it's but just a, you can, as a sober grown-up you can see that yeah it's right. like well, I've had a lot of time to reflect right. and, and writing the book and yeah. stuff but music really saved me so that band, the punk band, what was that called? The Violators. Oh, yeah? Did yeah. you guys cut any wax? No. Uh, in fact, I've been going crazy trying to find a cassette because oh, really? in my audio book, I wanted to do some underscoring. And, yeah. and when I talk about the that band, I wanted to kind of have it under there. So I was tearing my house apart looking. But we have a cassette. and um, from You the, found it? No, uh, I'll find it though. Okay. I get really- You still have them? Most of that stuff? I got, after all, all the... I got so much. I have everything. Really? Yeah. After all that moving, 
Yeah, I've got everything. It's crazy. I just found like Go-Go's tapes, so, like me and Belinda writing songs. And, really? Yeah. Uh, I just don't have a, a cassette player. I have to like... And then who's got time? Like you barely have time to do the shit you need to do. Like You've got to digitize that shit. I know. i got to just dump it all. But then there's too much. There's going to be like four hours of us like... You know? That's kind of nice though. <laughs> do you hear it? Is it? <laughs> Wasted. Rambling. Yeah. And then like... Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. So... um. So yeah, that the, the thing violators. about the thing about punk rock yeah. was for what it did for me was like I thought I had to be like Jeff Beck or Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix oh, or yeah, Eric Clapton is, I, to be I in a band, to this, yeah. and that's what I wanted right, to be. I right. wanted to be like in that pantheon, like of there's that, Jimmy those type and of guitar Eric, players. yeah, and then yeah. there's Kathy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> it doesn't even sound right, does it? Right, right. Jimmy and Eric and Kathy. And Jim, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, that's what I. That was my dream, and I still. It's still in there enough that when, like, when I meet a guitar, a woman guitar player that just embodies everything i wanted to be yeah. i just like really hold her up because sure. it's like my vicarious thrill to, yeah. to and i play pretty damn good but i'm not like that level but when when i got hip to punk rock it was like oh i don't have to sit around for years right practicing in yeah. my bedroom noodling yeah, yeah i can yeah. be in a band now this right. is cool everyone could right yeah yeah so and that's kind of like I know we probably will touch on this later, but the the Go Go's have a documentary coming out, and the whole narrative, or not the whole, but a big part of that film is how the band started in the punk rock scene in L.A. Right. So it's kind of cool that I'm in Texas, yeah, discovering punk rock, starting a punk band a little earlier than when they started. Well, was that the first wave? I mean, was that like what mid seventies, like seventy seven? So that was like, like yeah, probably I so came back the, from England and it was probably yeah seventy eight where it, I started that. Oh, band. so it was happening in England. It was happening, and I was there playing in this band that became Girl School, and we were a rock band. We were doing like Thin Lizzy and ACDC uh-huh. and stuff, but punk rock was everywhere. So like you you cuz I was there, I don't remember. I guess I was there in 1981 <clears throat> and it was already kind of long gone, but that whole King's Road trip and all yeah. that fashion had really been integrated already, but the, I guess when you were there, it was probably fresh. It was so fresh and the you know the the pistols were like like it was full on shock mode, you know, just like headlines every day and you you couldn't ignore it and mm-hmm. Like walking around King's Road and stuff. I mean, I thought I, I had just gotten like hip yeah, in, in yeah. Austin, feeling like a rock a rocker chick. Yeah. And then I'm like looking at all these punks, going, "Oh, I'm like old fashioned. This sucks." <laughs> right. Did you buy some clothes? <laughs> I bought a, a, a t-shirt with zippers on it. And oh, a quick there study, you, go. you know. There you go. And went back to Austin to start that punk band. And it's so funny. Do you are you friends with Steve Jones? Yeah. Now? Yeah. What a character, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we're not in touch a lot, but we we've had running. Uh, para, I mean. Um, We've, our paths have crossed sure. many, many times. Yeah, another sober dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you're doing the punk thing. And what kind, What drives you? How do you get... Because like, I, I think that this book is very thorough in its depiction of of what it takes to be a musician, how a musician's life really unfolds. Yeah. You know, with, you know, the, the sacrifices you have to make and the dream you have to follow. Because it seems like you knew... You know, pretty early that you know, you were doing this, yeah, and and there was nothing that was going to stop that, yeah, and you were going to figure out a way. But there was a certain number of serendipitous things that had to happen Absolutely. for you to get to the place. But like the idea of like moving to LA and almost like just deciding to do it and then doing it, yeah, is kind of crazy. Yeah, I think I was nineteen. And what uh, was the band then? It was 
it was the violators. We oh. we moved. We decided we were going to be big, like the Runaways, and uh, and but we got there, and we, instead, me and my best friend kind of had a parting at the ways. Which one's that? Marilyn. Ma- oh, okay. Because she had a fake ID, and she was going out. And I had this. I was in the horrible apartment by myself. And what did she play? She was the drummer. Okay. I, I made her be the drummer because yeah. she was like really cute. And, yeah. And I was like, oh, we'll just put you back here. Could she now, drum? Yeah, she she got really good. Um, but that wasn't totally it. But it was it was really I just didn't want a female singer that didn't play an instrument. Yeah. And she wanted to play drums, so we had a falling out, and um, and we we actually just connected again. For really? Years. Yeah. So okay, so that's when. So you were just hanging out. You were. I was hanging out, and and it's like one thing I wrote a lot about that people were surprised is that how supportive the the men musicians mm-hmm. were. Um, yeah. And people are interested in that because you always hear about oh it's sexist and this and that. And what I what I wanted to make sure and acknowledge was that I've never gotten sexism from the male musicians in my life. They were always so supportive and not in a condescending or patronizing way, but as a like, yeah, Yeah. awesome. And that's what I felt. And I don't know if I would have continued because I looked up to all these guys. There weren't women doing what I wanted to do. And I looked up to them so much. And if they had been assholes yeah i don't know i might have it might have crushed me so it was i was real fortunate to have people like doug som and and jimmy and the thunderbirds and all the guys yeah. and, and the the rock and roll guys yeah i mean eric johnson gave me a guitar lesson oh when i was did like it help well i was he was really <laughs> he was really fucking cute so i kind of just sat there and, and was like enamored but, yeah but i remember he showed me um what did he show me like all along the watchtower or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was just like, and, uh But he later, when, you know, he became known, he, he one time he said in an interview, like, I gave Kathy a guitar lesson. <laughs> he remembered. <laughs> yeah, but he was, it was still not like, it was really supportive. And when I finally got to meet my idol, Susie Quattro, and she had a band called The Pleasure Seekers before yeah. she was Susie Quattro with her sisters. And they told me the same thing. They said the guys that, you know, the, the like Mark Bolan and the Yardbirds and mm-hmm. all, Bowie and all these people that were musicians supported and encouraged them. And it was always the business people. That, that were like awful. more like just not I don't know if it's awful, but just like not really giving you credence or or uh, legitimacy or validation or anything right, like that. Right, right, yeah. It's uh, the executives and the packagers. Yeah, and yeah. the gatekeepers yes. to success. Right. So you get out here with Marilyn. She's on drums. She's got a fake ID. You're stuck at home. I start writing songs. That's how it goes. Yeah, I wrote can't. The first song I wrote in L.A. was "Can't Stop the World." which ended up on the Go-Go's first record. It's just like, to me, how a good song just kind of just stays and stays over Yeah, decades. it sounds like you reworked it. Even Vacation was reworked over Vacation, time. I did with the text. I wrote it like when I was 21, and the text tones recorded it. And even that, that version. Was, which band was that? That was a band you were in before the The Go-Go's. Band? Yeah, no, that was after the punk band. Oh, out, that was out that here. Was, that was my te- uh, my band in in L.A. that oh. uh, that played at the prison and jammed with Buddy Miles and Smokey Robinson. Yeah, you got to tell me that story. Like, um, But wait, let's go back. So, yeah, so that vacation was uh, originally that, recorded yeah, with them. Yeah, and then when the Go-Go's were, um, when I got in the Go-Go's and I was like, I want to be one of the writers. So, yeah, what do you got? So I'm like, I got you this. Yeah. So, uh, and then one night 
when I showed it to Charlotte, she goes, let's make the chorus like more chorusy, like yeah. pop chorus. And so we wrote that and that became, you know, Big one hit. of our biggest hits. Yeah. And so how do you, I love this story about how it happens, you know, because it's just one of those things that, and you, you're very aware of it, that, you know, hadn't you been at that club at that moment in that bathroom, I mean, who the fuck knows, <laughs> right? I mean, like what? So, okay, so you're in the text tones. That's your band. You guys are doing okay or not really? Well, we were we were getting good shows and yeah. stuff, and we opened for a lot of cool. We opened for the Stranglers, and we we played with the Ramones, and it seemed all good for a kid. Did you meet the Ramones and hang out? Oh yeah, a bunch of times. And um, nice it, guys. When my favorite thing when we got successful, yeah. and I'm talking about the Go Go's. Yeah. Out of all the stuff, like all the gold record, my favorite thing was a telegram from the Ramones. Yeah. That said, congratulations, Go-Go's. We love you. <laughs> Johnny, Dee Dee, Marky, Everyone's gone. I get so weird. I still can't get over it. Yeah. It's getting me choked up. <laughs> so, yeah. We were getting a lot of plenty of shots, but all the bands that were coming up around us were doing better. Like, like the Plimsolls uh-huh. and, and the Go Go's, even who before, before I was yeah. in. Um, you mentioned the Blasters. The Blast. Everybody was doing good, and I just thought, and the text tones seemed like we'd become like me singing my songs and Carla singing her songs. She was my mate. Yeah, and I just thought I need to leave the band and uh, you figure felt something. Yeah, so I quit and. And I was kind of floundering. I was like, well. And at that time, though, who was it? So, so the X was happening? X was happening and the weirdos. Yeah. And, and, uh, oh, it's kind of an exciting time. It uh, was great. L.A. was great during that era. And the punk scene, too? Yeah, the, just the Alley Cats and, yeah. and, and so many cool bands. Right, the right. Bags and, and yeah, yeah. just so many great bands. And it was a real... It reminded me of growing up in Austin because, like in Austin, I wasn't a snob. I'd go, I'd go like dancing to a country band. I'd go mm-hmm. see a blues band. Go see the yeah. cover rock band. So in LA, when I moved here, there was like, you know, the skinny tie, like power pop bands, sure. like the uh, uh, Twenty Twenty and um, the No and all these cool bands. And then there was like the Blasters and the Rockabilly bands, Levi mm-hmm. and 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 uh, the Rip Chords. And then there was the the punk bands, mm-hmm. and then the artsy kind of punk bands and then the hardcore so there was such a, a variety and spectrum of music which i i was took to because yeah. that's how i grew up sure was like, it was all happening at that point yeah it was the, before things started to sort of uh, branch out yeah and the message and it was really organic yeah like those organic scenes and there was no like, hair metal yet no almost no how did now let's go over this moment because i think it's a great moment where you know you're just like toiling away writing your songs and playing with this band you break up the band no 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 they stayed they, they're still like they they went oh, on the tones the yeah, uh, text tones yeah yeah i just left you left and you didn't know what was going to happen or what you were going to do no i thought i thought i was i i had no no doubts there's something about being young and i don't know i had no doubts like you just knew like you like you like there's something about once you commit to something i know it with comedy as well that either you're going to always have a plan b in your head or you're not yeah and you weren't that kind of person I and i wasn't either b, yeah. there's no yeah it was just sort of like this is gonna and i don't to. know if it's youth or what but i just was like no. i think it's a way of thinking yeah. like you know you just didn't see another option for yourself and uh, but also i was always really determined like i 
anything, I think anything I had decided, I think I would have done well at. Now I what, really do. I I'm, think, I'm sure. Yeah. And what's it's like this, it's like this need to be like, I matter. I yeah. matter. I matter. You sure. Know, and yeah. I'm going to show you I matter. And it's all right. like, it's like, yeah. it's like who you want to matter to is your dad or your mom. Right. But well, I noticed that in the book too, because like, I've, I've definitely related to that when you got sober, that there's a certain sort of like, well, I'm going to do this. Like, if it wasn't for me being competitive about my day count, I don't know if I would have stayed sober. Because once I got I'll in- I'll show them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to uh, be the best. Yeah, yeah. Or at least I'm going to win. Yeah. Somehow. I know. It's a, it's a good quality. And maybe it comes from negative circumstances, but it's- It I, can bite you in the ass, but sure, it's a good quality. I yeah. think it is. I, and I told my dad on his deathbed, my dad was like, oh, I'm sorry, all this stuff. And I said, you know- don't be sorry. I go, if you had been there, you would have never let me do what I did. You would have made me go to college and you would have this and that. And I was like, my life went the way it did. And a lot of it's because you weren't there, hmm. you know? How did he take that? I think it. he died the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it let him, I think it released him. <laughs> That's not funny. I th- but I think it like gave him, I think it absolved, like, I don't know. You absolved him. Yeah, in a he weird was, way. He was living in it. Yeah, that, yeah, I think because we got to we got close in the last eight months of his life, like really close, huh. and uh, we had a lot of serious talks because he was lucid through through his last breath. But but you were able to close that, like as a sober person, to yeah. to take uh, to you know understanding how to handle that stuff. You, you it was really, it. and I said, this is our journey. This uh-huh. is our journey, you know. And it was a really magical and healing and heartbreaking time, but. It was a wonderful conversation to say, like, yeah, I go, it, I'm not going to say it didn't affect me not having a dad, but yeah. I said I had good relationships. I had good, I w- had good men in my life. I wasn't, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I just, I'm really practical. It's just, I didn't die, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, like, well, that's nice, man. It's nice that you were able to, to get that, to let him off the hook. Yeah, I think it's important. So- Okay, so the you're you're kind of um, in between bands, yeah, and you don't really you know you're driven, but you don't know what's next. You kind of all throughout the book, you're sort of like I I knew you know I had to make something happen, yeah. something had to give, yeah, yeah. And what's your use? What what's your drug use at that point? Um, I was doing well. Alcohol's always been my sure. my main thing, and I think I really liked cocaine because I could drink longer. Sure, but like at the time you met. Oh, Charlotte. I was doing like drinking, always drinking, and then when I could get my hands on it, I would do get blow. Some blow. Yeah. Cause... So what? What was the moment? Like what? What? Ha- walk me through that meeting with her. Well, I was at it was Christmas night, and there's this amazing flyer that's from the whiskey that has yeah. like Susie Quattro, who was my first like person, that, your hero. Yeah, that made me go. I can be your band. role model. Yeah. yeah, and then there was uh, some of my friends' bands, and then there was. X playing that night, and then uh, there was my first show. That, so they're on one flyer from the yeah. whiskey. It's in my book. It's such a cool flyer. It's like about my whole life. To see X at that time must have been pretty much great. Well, they ruled, you yeah. know, and they still do. They're, yeah. they're still, I mean, amazing to me. Um, but yeah, I was. My mom had come out to visit. I'm li- I'm like staying up on Sunset Plaza at a friend's house, and uh, she's out of town. And I'm mm-hmm. just Christmas with my mom, and then I go down to the whiskey to mm-hmm. see X. And I see Charlotte from the Go-Go's and she's like, hey, what, do you play bass? And I'm like, yeah. 
But you didn't, right? No, but I mean, it's not like I had never held one or sure, anything. Sure, sure. I know I get it. You can play I, guitar. You can say yes. That's what I figured. Sure. And then she just like says, well, our bass player is sick and we got some, we got four shows at the Whiskey coming up. And I was just like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And um, I went home right away and just like my, all gears were just churning. Sure. And I was like, called her the next day, get me a cassette. Yeah, yeah. And I borrowed a bass, and I I learned their whole set, and it became clear. And I had seen the Go-Go's. I'd seen them when I first moved to L.A. What did you think of them? When I first moved to yeah. L.A., I didn't take them seriously. And then I saw them when they came back from England, and Gina Shock had joined as the drummer. And I was like, oh, okay, this band is, is cool. Yeah. But um, I didn't know their song. I wasn't like a fan right, where right. I, I went all the, to every show or anything. Yeah. But listening to that rehearsal tape and learning their songs, I was like, man, I like this band. Uh I like these songs. This is a good band. And as soon as I got in the room with them, it was like everything I'd ever looked for. Sure. It's like I wanted to be in an all-female band. I wanted to be in a band that that got somewhere. Like all the bands I looked up to, there was no women bands. And I was just like... So to me, it was like it just checked off every box of everything yeah. I'd wanted, and I fell in love. Yeah, I fell in love with that band. And was it? Yeah, was it? I, I would have played the freaking tambourine. I would have done anything at that point to be in that band. I just loved them. And 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 did and it took how long did it take to really click? Oh, right away. Oh yeah. Yeah, like within. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but after eight shows at the whiskey and the the press talked about the shows and within like maybe at the most two weeks i'm just like in my mind i'm just like i gotta be in this band i got it and then they asked me to stay and i was like yep yep wow and then four months later we were had a record deal it's interesting though it didn't happen overnight Mm -hmm. and it was a real struggle because of the perception of women yeah correct well it was uh what our manager was told repeatedly was there's it's cool, good band. We can see that they're popular, but there's never been a, a, a successful. That's what they would say, successful all female band. And, and they, uh, I, I felt like they they saw it as a novelty or something. Yeah, and we weren't considered a novelty. I mean, I write in the book, like on our first tour, we did everything, and everybody, nobody passed on us. Like every radio person, they and it wasn't like they wanted to meet us so they could add us to the programming. Right. They just wanted to see. They wanted to like be see what we were like. Yeah. So to, there was a something about the novelty that appealed to people, right? But, but it didn't help in terms of getting a record deal or getting airplay or that's what people don't realize. Like I, I wrote in the book. I don't even know if I realized stuff till I meticulously. Yeah, it happens with the process of writing. Yeah, because yeah. you're and when you're procrastinating, like yeah. you still want to feel like you're doing shit, so yeah. you're like researching and getting sure. everything right. So I and also re- you learn you learn things about yourself because you you have to you, they come out of you. Yeah, and you put things together, right? Yeah, and yeah. the first thing I did before I started was I made playlist of every song of every year so and i would just play it while i was writing because the music took me right back to that minute no kidding oh yeah like every every it just never failed it's like oh that's how i felt i know how i felt because i'm listening to this and that's what i was listening to then but also like the 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 kind of detail you put into you know showing you know not just getting the record deal but once the record was out how you had to slog that thing you know get out there the amount of promo you had to do and the amount of time it takes 
that back then to sort of mine a record for hits, to make hits, yeah. and this sort of you know uh, serendipitous creation of MTV, and, and that you were there at the beginning of what really defined them in terms of making you you know uh, hits. Yeah, that's that's I think that's one of the reasons we succeeded because it was the rogue DJs, the college DJs, MTV. Saturday Night Live like was huge for us. But like you had like it, it was this was vinyl records and you had to hit everything and you had to sell those pieces you know the, a record. Yeah. And it just kept building. I didn't realize until I really read and I just read Jerry Wexler's autobiography but you know but the the amount of time it took to make that record a hit to get 9 you know, months uh it took to get uh Our Lips Are Sealed the first single it took 9 months of solid touring for it to go to like 26. Isn't that, that's crazy Nine to months. me. And then it and was Saturday stopped. Night Live and MTV that took it over the top? That and opening for the police. So it was like, uh, right. we just, it was like just that synchronicity of, of things that kind of, and then people, I mean, fans like, and for us, it wasn't like, like every, even when we were in a van and playing all the clubs, that circuit of clubs that every band hits. Yeah. They were sold out. I mean, so you feel like you're succeeding compared to where you come from, like a sold out club in Atlanta or a sold out club in, you know, Minnesota yeah. or M- Minneapolis is right. like, um, that's like success. Sure. Like, of what makes you think that you can go do that everywhere? So I call it pinnacles of success because every little thing along the way to me was like my dream had come true. Right. And so it's not like you're like wait, sitting around waiting for a hit to, to me, it no, your felt, work, yeah, your yeah, work. To me, it yeah. felt like like it was like just to be able to be on tour, to just, be popular, to be in a great band, yeah, and to, to be making a record in New York City, you know, to be like. And John Belushi took a liking to you, yeah, and and like people like people that are icons loving your band. It's like there's so much good shit happening. You're, the last thing you're worried about is whether you have a hit. Yeah, you know, right. And and but how was Belushi? Great guy. So great, yeah. Yeah, great guy. I it's like it was so it was it's interesting in 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 sort of the one of the through lines of the book is you you know sort of not realizing you have a drug problem even though you know, it wasn't massive but a few people around you went down yeah but you couldn't compare yourself to that because you I weren't just, a dope person or yeah whatever. I I felt like I felt like oh I don't know I think that's part of what. An, uh, an alcoholic addict does is they sure. look at everybody else yeah. and, and think that they're worse. Well, I was one of those people. Like, I don't do heroin. Yeah. I, it's not my bag. Yeah, you think that they're worse. So, and plus, you're fun. Like I kept, I was fun. Yeah, I don't know how you would know unless you ask Charlotte about it. You know how much you're because it seemed like everyone else was partying as well. But do you really have a sense of how much your substance abuse and alcoholism affected? You know, the decisions the bands made made around you? Well, looking back, what I realized is that um, it made me a, a stunted, like, emotional, like, infant. Mm. I mean, I was just like, I, I had no capacity for compassion or empathy mm. or for understanding what someone else was going through. And there's things, I think my, my drinking definitely affected the band, even if it was, I can only be responsible for my part, but... There was people right next to me who I considered my sisters that were going through things that it just like went. Yeah, because you were worried about it's yourself. It's like you know, yeah. It's like a te- yeah. well, it's just like you're just a teenager and you're self obsessed. They, they say when you start drinking, 
like an alcoholic that you that's when he's tough yeah, yeah and like when you get sober you you're at the emotional so when i got sober i was like a like a 14 year old emotionally you know? yeah I, I i i buy that so once you uh once you you guys are rising and become this huge band it, it seems that you didn't think it would ever end oh i never <laughs> thought it would end i mean for the for everyone but, but me and Gina, it was their first band, pretty much. Yeah. I, Charlotte had been in a band, but it was their. But Gina and I had been like we'd been trying to make it, well, for year like four yeah, years. Four years, <laughs> and you're like twenty two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but to me, it was like nobody would ever, and like to me, the main focus of my life was to keep it because this band represented not only my dream come true and getting to do all the stuff but it meant I could take care of myself and no one had ever taken care of me and to be able to really take care of yourself was huge to me it was like and, I have security now I and, never felt secure and and ultimately and through that uh, through the agreements with IRS records and, and whatever was going on you felt that you were compensated properly yeah oh yeah uh, you guys did good oh yeah I mean for the time yeah and yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, I I I was poor growing up. So to me, like, I mean, when I joined the band, we were getting like our rent paid in forty bucks a week, and by the label, no, by just the band, uh -oh. and I was getting unemployment, and yeah. like I thought this is great, and then you know, <laughs> <laughs> then you got off unemployment, <laughs> yeah, and then I got like fifteen hundred a month, you know, when we started doing better, and I. Like so, to me, just getting anything. And the contracts were good. The uh, publishing, it seemed like, was like divvied up pretty well. Well, everyone was smart to keep their publishing. Yeah, you know, so we all the songwriters kept their publishing, and our the deals were as good as what they. I mean, we just re renegotiated our our royalty rate for with uh, the people that own the masters now. Just now. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're they the, it's them? a deal that's from like 1980. You Interesting. Know? Yeah. And do those songs still make money? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I've been making money off vacation for like 40 years. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's not always. It might be like six grand one year. But like but if a commercial might, uses it? Yeah, if, if a commercial uses. happens, it's like, and when you're like broke, because yeah. I've been up and down in this business, and when you're broke, you're just like, come on, come on. <laughs> Somebody and, make a commercial. And it never happens. But when, when you're not broke, yeah. Like all comes, it's it's a weird like universal law. Yeah, and I think it was sort of interesting that there this idea. Like I, I I'd like to talk a little bit about how, you know, all the 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 kind of soup of different styles that you came out of in L.A. and the fact that punk wasn't that far behind you guys that you did represent a kind of a new um, mode. Like something, an accessible sort of uh, punky. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really new wave because you guys were rock. But there was something that represented everything that was going on at that time. I think so, and I, I think that, like, I really don't think the Go Go's get a lot of credit for just being an indie band. Mm -hmm. Like, forget being the first. I mean, don't forget, but besides being the the first all female band that had a number one record that that we wrote and performed and everything we were also one of the first indie bands to get huge yeah you know yeah and after us there was like rem and you know right. they, they got big labels because they like a lot of the big labels looked at irs and what they were doing irs was our little label yeah and i think a lot of bands benefited from our success and i don't know if we get credit for we, that well you know we never get the credit we should no we got to tell them <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Gonna think I, I like sandwich that. board. There's still a little alcoholic thinking in there. It's like, where's how come there's no plaque? It's worse, sir. You know what I mean? Where's mine? Exactly. God damn it. <laughs> Doesn't that go away? Come on, 31 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not, it's not even the, I think it's just the age. It's like you get to be like, I mean, you just get to a point where it's like, why are you even doing it? It's not like you're trying to be the most relevant person in the world, yeah. but it's like you're just doing it because that's what you do. And like the validation just isn't that important. Anymore. I hope so. I mean, I get that. Well, that's another vibe I get throughout the book where it's just like it took you a long time to let that shit go, man. Oh, yeah. So you got the big hit record. Then you do another record with your song on it, Vacation, which is also a big hit, but it didn't sell as much as the first record. Yeah. And when you went out on the road, it was a little different. But you guys played Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You did big deals. The the second record didn't sell as many, but we were touring at our peak. We were headlining arenas. Right. So it didn't feel that bad <laughs> Right. that you sold two million instead of four million. Um, but the third record, I have, I call it, the chapter is called Shrinking and Sinking because yeah. you're playing, now you're selling hundreds of thousands. Like if we'd started Records. like that, yeah, that's fine. Right. But when you go from millions, you start feeling like you're like you're uh, on the decline. And it's a, it's a sad story, but it's not an unusual story Yeah. in rock and roll, really, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to follow up uh, 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 the first hit record and certainly the second hit record because you know, I guess the expectation either becomes like keep repeating yourself or let's try to find lightning in a bottle again. I mean, in general, right? Well, we wanted, we went through a phase with the third record where, where it became like really important that we be taken seriously, mm. you know? And I think like we toured. In what way? I what does know. that mean? I don't know. It's I mean, like, like it, I, that was the other thing I was like, you know, the, your regret around not selling out in a way. Like, you know, when you guys had opportunities, when your songs were huge to be used in, in marketing, you guys were like, everyone democratically decided we don't want to sell out. And then like all of a sudden you see, I remember when Lou Reed did that fucking Vespa ad. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. But now there's no shame at all to a degree. It's just part of the business. It's part of your personal branding. Well, it's like, Unfortunately, you know, marketing and 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 that is just permeated every Everything. aspect That's right. of yeah. life. Right. And yeah. So, and a musician is gonna, you know, like any artist, you're gonna do what you can to to do your art. Right. You know, and to make money if yeah. you want to make money. Yeah. But then, you know, by the time you guys decided to do it, you know, it was already well, <laughs> Suzuki. Suzuki. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. like a big flop. So, okay. But tell me about this idea that you wanted to be taken seriously on well, the third was, record. Yeah. I don't know. We were just kind of consumed with that. I think it was a backlash from just being, it's like these like frothy. I mean, I went, I have all the press. And when I was writing mm -hmm. the book, I'm looking, I'm like, they just keep saying these things like bouncy like oh, and right, frothy right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. cute and right. and I'm just like really we're just like a rock and roll band and I think I think we were kind of backlashing against that and just wanted to be taken seriously. So you, they thought you were cute and that, that that's you what know, they would it say was, just because we're again, girls, a gimmick or a novelty or whatever. I don't know what it was. It was yeah. just like I mean, it, and I've talked to journalists that say, well, you guys weren't exactly doing stuff to counter that i'm like well well what we were just being ourselves like yeah. what would we do to counter it and sometimes it's like you'd go to a photo session and 
this, they'd have a stylist and they'd be like, oh, we thought you could wear this. And right, a, a right. lot of times we'd be like, no, fuck that. We're not doing that. But a lot of times you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Give it, you know, you just want to go back to your hotel room. Right. And, and like whatever's going to make it fast. Yeah. And then there's some dumb pictures out in the world. Oh, there's some you. hideous pictures, like, <laughs> like unbelievably yeah. hideous pictures where we're like being dressed up like little dolls. Yeah. You know? So on those first two tours, on the first two records, I mean, you guys toured the world. I mean, you did a lot of dates, right? Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of dates. Like that was you—you you put the hours in. And we didn't say no. Good. I think it took—it took till like we broke up and got back together, which isn't in this book. But it took us like till we were in our thirties to like understand that you can say no mm. and go, no, we're not doing that. So when you did finally, like when things started to come unglued, it was around that third record, right? Yeah, things were just falling apart like crazy. Because people wanted to do their own thing or what? Just a, a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, definitely the 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 alcohol and yeah. stuff was playing a play uh, uh, and the drugs. But, you know, Jane quit the band and it's like chemistry. You take one crucial element out and the chemistry is different. And all I cared about was like, we got to keep going. We got to keep this together. Okay, Jane's leaving, but we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And you couldn't see being without them. Couldn't see it. I mean, I was by that time, I was completely wrapped up. I yeah. was like, I wasn't even, there wasn't even, um, like, you couldn't have said, hey, you used to go see the T-Birds in Austin. Right. It was like, I was go-go, Kathy. Right. And thank God I learned, like, I realized that I'm me, you know, yeah. but uh, after losing it all, but thank goodness I lost it all. But at the time, that's all I wanted was to keep the band. and. Well, the buzz it. of being that big must have been amazing. The sort of cachet and, and entree you had into worlds that you didn't have before. And, just, and then just yeah. the, the touring and the money and the excitement. I wanted long. I just wanted to be like, I wanted to be the Stones. You know, I wanted to be around for albums and well, I think that was and, an interesting observation you made in the book about, um, you know, how they weren't, you know, oh, this idea that like, why can't someone else sing it? Why can't someone else play it? Like, you know, you probably should have let that happen. We should have like grown and changed, but we were really rigid. And, you know, again, like going back at that time when it fell apart, one of the first things that made it fall apart was Jane said, I want to sing a song. And right. We were like, no, no, this isn't the way the band is. That seems crazy to me. Yeah, yeah now you it look does. At, but yeah, you yeah. look back at that. But in that moment. Do you, un do you understand the reasoning that went into you guys thinking? Well, that? we started thinking like, well, what if everybody wants to sing a song? Yeah, what if? And what, you know, then what's Belinda going to do? Belinda's the star. She's the she's the, the singer. How, so, why was that established like that? Because it, it was working and it's it was, just the way uh, it was. It's and, just the way it was. And I didn't mind. I mean, I had a template in my mind of the Stones, you know, the Stones. Yeah, but Keith always sang a couple and yeah. he played bass on some shit. Yeah, <laughs> we, but we just... You know, and we didn't have a lot of guidance by that point either. Uh -huh. Our our, our long-term manager was gone. We had, like, suits basically manage, managing us, and we weren't guided. We were, like, like unparented. Right. And uh, no one really keeping, you know, by that time, I think it, they were, like, glad to see us break up because then they could just focus on the star and get rid of these other ones. They're just a pain in the ass. Huh. So— so one, once Jane left, you guys tried to keep the band together. Yeah, and we you got, brought someone else in. Yeah, we brought someone in. I moved to guitar, which was like my, I was like happy about because I I wanted to play. I like playing guitar. I like playing bass too, but you yeah. know if I if there was an opening, yeah. I would take that one. Yeah. And um, so yeah, and we we just tried, but 
Charlotte got sober and came back, and I didn't get it. I thought, oh, good, she's back, and we're going to go on now mm-hmm. with sober Charlotte. Yeah. But I didn't realize at the time how it was asking way too much for a newly sober person to just jump in with all these dysfunctional— Well, sure. and I shouldn't lump everyone because right. pretty much— you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not going to tell other people's story. Right, right, but, sure. But I was definitely like, why? I couldn't see like, why wouldn't you want to go write songs with me? You know, right. don't worry, I won't do any blow in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That thing we all do. Are you okay if I? Uh, yeah, you don't mind if I drink, do you? Yeah, that kind of thing. So didn't work. No, it, it fell apart, and I was devastated. But I also couldn't foresee like if you'd told me like, hey. In 2020, you're still going to be relevant and people, your music's still going to matter and you're still going to have a career that is a part of your life but isn't your life. I mean, if I'd known that, I would have been like, yeah, good. Right. (laughs) But but at the time, it it just felt like that was like it and it was all going to end. But I mean, it's insane. This band has. But it did end though. I mean, mean, it's like. Yeah, I mean, every, you know, things have like ebbed and flowed, and things have happened. But I mean, you know, you were fucked for years, years. after that. Yeah, and and it, you know, in the you know, I can't imagine the amount of booze and drugs and men that you know, especially someone with your kind of like uh, compulsion, what it took to sort of like keep the those demons at bay, just the, the resentment demons or the jealousy demons. You know, when Belinda, like you write about, you know, Belinda's career taking off and it's just like, it's fucking that kind of like bile and like heart crushing jealousy is just horrendous. Well, except it, I can't say that it was jealousy and, and, and stuff. What it was more like was I, it was just like what you were saying. It's like, I deserve it too. I've never begrudged right, anybody right, else success. Right. Um, and I, cause I know what kind of work goes into it. So right. it wasn't so much I was eaten alive with jealousy, right. but what it was was like, I deserve Why my did, shot too. Right, right. I'm good. Where's mine? Yeah. Where's yeah, mine? Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm working my ass off. I'm putting a band together and we're a good band and I'm playing at the clubs and I'm starting over and I'm doing everything the right way. And, and I've got, big producers and i've got big people like that believe in me so oh, there's some real heartbreak in that's in that stuff where yeah. you know it, when you know the singing just didn't work out and just like oh oh it was painful it was so painful because i just wanted to be in a band and then that horrible thing that happens when you're in your new house yeah yeah what the fuck was that it was crazy it was like what they call a home invasion robbery now but back then it was just insanity but you guys were just partying or you well, yeah, were sleeping we, we partied it was and you and charlie and me, me and charlie sexton and carlene carter and we were we stayed up writing songs just having a good old time and probably conked out like yeah. around dawn right and then like a few hours later a guy and i don't know what he's doing at the top of sunset plaza it's like i mean how did the hell do you get up there yeah and but he apparently came into the house and woke up woke they were in my guest room and and then proceeded to terrorize us and and psychologically just like it was i mean i'll never forget it i still cry i mean i didn't cry till i wrote about it and it seemed very bizarre what how it can he went about doing all this shit yeah it was crazy and like i wrote he a, ties you guys up yeah he tied us up and uh he he like threatened us and he's he's then he said he was going to kidnap me and 
And he got butcher knives from my kitchen that he was going to, I guess, put in our backs or yeah. something. And uh, I had a struggle with him. And I just kept, your mind is just like churning. And what you don't realize is how you're just ingrained from the time you're a kid. Like, be good. Do what you're told. You won't get in trouble. You won't get punished. But you're also, so that's all there. And then I got to survive. I got to survive. I got two people. He's. I'm sure he's by himself. We can take him. Come on, guys. Let's take him. No, do what he, so you can't get everyone, like you can't do it by yourself. And you ended up running out. I ended, get, you know, I ended up pretending like I was tied up, but yeah. I wasn't. And so my only thing, they were tied up, my friends, and he kept wandering around the house and stealing stuff and just, and I just... He sounded like a crazy person. I think he was a crazy person. But he was also... I think he had military background because uh-huh. he kept using terms. But I wrote a song. I did a soundtrack to this book. When I was done, I just didn't feel done. And I wrote yeah. a song about that chapter. And uh, I just was sobbing when I wrote... It's weird. Like, the writing the music opened things up on a deeper uh-huh. level. So you wrote a bunch of original music for mm-hmm. the soundtrack? Yeah, I got to oh, give it great. to you. Yeah. And the the same with the chapter where I got raped. I just wrote about it. I'm like, oh, this sucked, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I wrote the song. When was that? When, when, when did that happen? That was like 14. I was 14, and I hitchhiked to Houston and, and got in a bad situation. But at, in my mind, it was never rape because I'd gotten myself in a bad situation, and the guy wasn't leaving me alone, so I finally just said, just do it. So I... Uh, I wrote the song called Just Do It, and as soon as I wrote the lines, if I can't stop you, I can let you, like just like yeah. trying to get that power right. of, of being powerless. Right. And it was like a key that unlocked that 14-year-old thing, and I, for three days, I was like a, a mess. I was like sobbing and mourning, like, why was anybody fucking taking care of me? Why was anybody looking out for me? Why wasn't this guy leaving me alone, you know? And what I wrote in the book was like I was promiscuous. It wasn't like I didn't have sex. And it was all really a memorable bad sex. But that was the only time I never forgot because I sobbed. I was crying the whole time, which was a bummer for him. Yeah. Well, but (laughs) because you realized you'd been, you know. I didn't want to do it. I didn't. I mean, the other times I had had sex, it might have been for maybe I liked him or maybe I just didn't give a shit or maybe I was just fucked up and there was nothing to do but it was always because I was like okay with it right but that was the one time I wasn't okay with it and even even in the 70s where everybody was just having sex a lot yeah it 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 was just in a box it was just buried and I wrote about it and then I wrote the song and I I'm scared to do the song in public I'm scared I'll just cry every time I do it I cry but that's okay Eventually, I think it's uncomfortable for people when you just start like crying. I guess that's maybe it's true. Maybe, okay, but what you if know, you were doing a show and just started crying? I've cried before publicly, and I, you know, uh, you, you know, you can choke it back. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I well, I do comedy, so it's a little different. But I mean, like, I you, you <laughs> that can... would be really bad. <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah, I tell yeah, you, no, just wait a minute. Just wait. A minute. Yeah. But so between you know that uh, horrible event and then the you know, the break in. I mean, those, that's heavy shit, man. It was, it was like, that was, that was like something that I had PTSD for, for years. And, you know, I, I'm still friends with, with uh, Charlie and Carlene and we still talk about what how it, horrible it was. Oh yeah. It was like, we thought we were going to die. Yeah. We thought we were going to die. 
Oh, my God. We thought we were going to be murdered at the yeah. top of Sunset you Plaza. might have been. Well, that's what the police told me when when they came. And I was like, uh, I just yeah. kept talking to him. I just kept talking to him. Did I do the right thing? And the guy, the cop's like, you're alive. You did the right thing. You know? Because <laughs> yeah. to me, I just kept thinking, I got to be human. I got to be a human being. And I kept joking with him. Interesting. I was like... He'd say, like, where's the drugs? Where's the drugs? And I'd be like, oh, you should have come by a few hours ago. (laughs) I just kept trying to be, like, a real person. So this is during the period where you don't have a band anymore. Yeah, that's 85 that happened. So I like that you you moving towards hitting bottom involved, you know, some more heroes in a way. Because you were still pretty fucked up when somehow or another you managed to meet Keith Richards finally. Yeah. And it's so funny because when I met him, when I interviewed Keith Richards, I hadn't smoked in a decade. And did you ask for a cigarette? Well, what ha- I did, <laughs> you know, and, and but I was I was on nicotine lozenges. I just wanted to hold it because he was smoking Reds, so I'm just fucking holding it, and he's smoking. And at some point during the interview, he threw a lighter at me, and I fucking lit it. And I hadn't smoked it a decade, and I thought in my head like, well, I'm on the nicotine lozenges. I'm not going to get hooked. And then so, you were hooked right away, right? No. Oh. But I, but I was happy to smoke my one cigarette in a decade with Keith. No, I stayed on the nicotine lozenges. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I didn't go back to cigarettes. See, I'm like, if I smoke one, if I smoked one now, I'd be, I'd be smoking. Well, I was on nicotine lozenges for a decade, man. I just, I'm six months off of that shit, and I'm going squirrely right now. Oh, that's great. I'm full of rage and insanity. Yeah, but you know, nicotine's it's it's really bad, man. And it's like. It, like what I realize is how much it keeps you a wall away from connecting with people. Hey, unfortunately, when you remove that wall from me, it's usually a lot of hostility. <laughs> <laughs> you might want that wall up. <laughs> you know, I'm dealing with it right now. I'm squirrely now. I don't know why. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It, it's uncomfortable. Well, it hits me like six months in. I always start up something, smoke a cigar, get back on the nicotine or something. I think this might be the longest I've been with like nothing. Nothing. So how are you doing different? What are you doing different? I need to start doing something different. I'm not doing enough different. I gotta go to a fucking meeting tonight or something. I don't want to drink or nothing, but yeah, I'm fucking yeah. squirrely. No, I yeah, I know that. I, I get really uncomfortable just being my in my skin. It feels itchy. Like on from the inside, I just feel, get really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I get and the older you get, the worse it gets because then you're getting uncomfortable about like real shit that's probably going to happen right. to you. So then you pile that on there. Mm. The real shit problem. Yeah, it's like oh, I got a stomach ache. What does that what mean? Is that? Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like oh, I've got a toothache. I'm gonna get my brain's gonna get infected. Right. Oh yeah, like, that's shit a... you don't even think about. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> it's all about like dental work and pooping when you're past sixty. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is everything working? Yeah, everything okay? Is that, what is that lump? What is that? Was that spot there? So you meet Keith. I couldn't believe it because I thought I'd meet him when we got to open for the Stones. Yeah. I thought I'd meet him then and it didn't happen. And and it's like I've been pretty good most of my life. Like I just think of people. Like I don't – if I meet somebody, I don't want to be like, oh, I saw you at this concert. Sure. I, I want to be – Yeah, have wanna, a real moment. Yeah, so yeah. – I've always kind of just remembered they're just people, and if you want to, you just talk about something. And uh, to actually meet him and then tell him about my guitar. and Oh, yeah, that you're going to leave it to him. Yeah, and he was really, and then later in the 90s, I got to cross paths with him a couple, and he actually played that Strat. He did? Yeah, he played it. <laughs> and uh, and I was- I was at uh, Don Was's studio, uh-huh. and like at one point I was like, I go, everyone, I, every guy I know, that I, I've said, you know, show me something on the guitar. We show me a couple of your favorite licks. So yeah. it was like when a, 
It didn't fall in the time frame of this story, but it was my favorite, Keith. And what did he play? What did he show you? Well, we were talking. I was really, really into blues, like really going deep into blues. Yeah. So he was like, "Do you know this?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, I've learned oh, yeah. that one." And yeah. and I'd say like, "Do you know Frankie Lee Sims?" And he'd like, like "Yeah, Lucy May Blues." And yeah, yeah. It was just like bonding on on like oh, Texas great. blues. It was really cool. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's not like I don't know if he saw me if he. Like, I don't know if he'd be like, hey, Kath, but it right. was still, for me, it was good enough as a lifelong fan. Yeah. And then your bottom somehow managed to involve uh, Johnny Thunders somehow. Yeah. My last drunk, uh, I blacked out. And I, I wasn't a big blackout drinker. I had I had really bad hangovers by that time that would make me, I would wake up sometimes because hmm. when I would drink, I, I would just do things that I normally wouldn't do. I'd do drugs I normally wouldn't do. I'd yeah. have sex with people I normally wouldn't have sex with. Hmm. and. So I woke up with a lot of shame mm. and physical horror, but I didn't have a lot of blackouts. Yeah. And that was the second blackout that I'd had, and and it was a really bad hangover, and I was just, I just was done. I was that done. was it, and and someone had planted the seed, Carlene. Carlene had gotten sober, and... A lot of people, I guess, in your life had gotten sober, but you may not have known all of them at that time, huh? Yeah, I, did, I mean, Charlotte and I weren't friends right. at that time. I mean, I called Charlotte four months into my sobriety. I still had her phone number in my brain. I'm like, ah, I'm sober. That's a great, like, you know, but before I uh, go into the sober part, how was it seeing Johnny Thunder's wife? Oh, well, I got to sit, I was blacked out while he played, but I always got to sit in the rehearsal, and, uh -huh. I, and I'd seen him other places, too. I, I mean, I, I'm a big Johnny Thunder's fan. I mean, yeah. I, he was just like, some people are just the real deal. So... When you when you had the moment of clarity where you found the window to to make the decision to go to a meeting, um, how was your resolve? You wrote a nice little passage on that mixture of everything you about who you are wants to keep using, but you can't anymore. Well, it's like it was like I felt so bad. It was easy when I made the decision, but the next day I felt a little better, mm. and immediately the doubt was like. Well, maybe I should. Maybe I should. Yeah, I can still use. I, maybe yeah. maybe I should wait a, a little while. <laughs> yeah, I'll do this tomorrow. Yeah, I'll yeah. do it next week. Yeah. I'll get back to L.A. first. Right. And it was, I was just so demoralized with my life and my inability to to make anything happen. I couldn't. I was doing. I was putting bands together, and people were giving me breaks, and nothing was happening. Oh, the sad story about playing gigs where no one was showing up. Yeah, and, and it's oh. like I was. I was getting. I had. Things, but nothing was working out. Yeah. Nothing, and even like having a great boyfriend, that wasn't working. Nothing uh, was working. Anything good wasn't working. Nothing, nothing yeah. bad. Nothing good. Yeah. And I just there was just something about that thought. Like if I stop drinking, one thing will change. And if one thing changes, maybe that's enough to fucking feel better about my life. Oh wow. And it's like so I didn't want to. Even though I felt better and thought, well, maybe I'll wait. Part of me was able to hold on to that thought, like, no, one thing's going to change. Mm. You're going to make th this, this is, this, you can do this. You yeah. can change this one thing. Yeah. You can't get a career. You can't make your band happen. You can't, right. you can't be financially secure. You can't be happening and all that, but you can do this. Yeah. And that'll change. And it was like the, it's the foundation of everything good. I yeah. mean, I'm sitting here now because yeah. I got sober. Yeah. I'm, I have a daughter now because I got sober. I, I'm surrounded by 
loved ones and I get to be in the go-go's and I get to throw my guitar in the car and go play a gig at the Continental Club and I get to do all this shit because I'm sober and it's like it's like the best thing but yeah going back to that moment I think what I said was like there's something divine about it there's a divine moment and if you blow it off and I've seen it happen I've seen a lot of people where they like I was real close I was right at that point like I'll yeah, I'll go back to LA and then I'll get sober. Yeah, and if you who knows whether you're going to make it. That's right, and it's it's still a day at a time for a lot of people. That was like a life changing moment to realize that I could lose my sense of self and come back. Well, right, because you had all this sort of like you know insane trauma and PTSD and emotional stifling of a lifetime stuff down. Yeah, but yeah, but like you know, and it all had to come you know flying out of you. And it, when it happened, I mean, I'd been sober for like I guess nine months or something. And it when was, that happened, it was terrifying. It was like absolutely terrifying. But um, I, I think, uh, like what I said was like I had to. The first thing was like I gotta know I can have a good time. Yeah. Because I associated every good time oh, yeah, with yeah. drinking. I like that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like if, the right. first thing was like just if I can have a good time, I can do this. That yeah. took a while. I didn't yeah. have a good time for a while. Yeah. I was just hanging in there. Just... I don't know if I have a good time in general. <laughs> <laughs> Come yeah, on. Just, <laughs> I do okay sometimes, you know what I mean? I like to, but even with me, it's like most of the good feelings come from like stuff that's compulsive. Yeah. You know, like eating or what, you know what I mean? Or like yeah. buying a thing, getting a new guitar, you know, like... No, I'm I'm still it's uncomfortable being a human. It's just it really, is. Really, I'm, I'm terrible. It's I, and I have fucking food issues. I'm fucking me too. squirrely as shit, man. Me too. I like it. I'm really ritualistic. Like yeah. where I'll do the same thing every day right. until like I replace it with something else. Yeah. Like I gotta have this this bagel. Right. Every but don't, day. Don't don't you ever just sort of like fuck it and just eat a pie. No. no, that's good. But uh, but I'll but I do have issues with yeah. food. But I mean, I'm really. I mean, my daughter, like, she came home one day, and I was yeah. like peeling the paint off the wall, like like strip by strip. And she's like, "Mom," like, and I would go out and do it like all the time. And she'd. Come, what do you mean? Do it for what reason? Just because I was like obsessive. Oh, oh, oh. Like I don't know why. I just yeah, had yeah. to peel it off. Yeah. And she'd be like, "Mom, are you peeling the paint again?" I'd be like, "Yeah, you should try it." <laughs> 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 she, she kind of starts peeling. She goes, "This is weird. You're yeah, weird." Yeah. <laughs> but she tried. So what? And what ultimately happened with the girls, the Go Go's? Like after all said and done, what? You guys are okay now? We're we're like actually levels of okay that I didn't even know about could happen. Like how many times have you guys gotten back together? Well. A lot of people don't realize this, but we broke up in 85. We got back in 90. We did a a tour. We broke up for like four years. From like 95 almost all the way to 2012, we toured a lot. We did a lot of cool shit. We like played at uh, Muhammad Ali's like uh, fight for life thing we Uh did like we paid at the kennedy compound or mardi golf floats all kinds of opportunities that aren't like in the 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 original lineup oh yeah so this happened and we tour in the summer we tour with the b-52s or we do the do fun tours we've had a a really good career for a long time but it was a part of our life it wasn't the whole life right the musical on broadway 
came out in 2017, and I was a part of it. The Go Go's musical. Yeah. Did it last? Did it? It run? lasted six months on Broadway, and now it's like at 200. Like high schools are doing it. It's really cool. Oh it's wow! Really cool. It's all over the country. Like two. You make money off of that? No. No. Oh. No, there's like so many investors that oh. will get paid before <laughs> I ever see it. Right. I mean, we made a little bit when right. it was on Broadway because we were the the composers. Right. It was all our music. Oh, sure, yeah. So that happened, and then this documentary got made that's going to be on Showtime, and it premiered at Sundance. That documentary has like opened up another level of like healing and um, just like really uh-huh. l- like kind of loving each other. It's it's a pretty amazing journey. Is everyone around? Where are they? I know everyone's spread out. Belinda's in Bangkok. Jane is in Mexico. Charlotte's here, and Gina's in San Francisco, and I'm in Texas. Bangkok and Mexico. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. For what reason? They like to experience life in different places. Okay. Yeah, you know. And what do you do when you go to the Continental? I see. I go see bands in Austin. Do you play out there though? Yeah, I have a band. Play. I have a band in Austin called the Blue Bonnets. You'd like it. It's a total rock and roll band. And the guitar player Eve, she grew up with Gary Clark Jr. and he always acknowledges her. Yeah. And she's a great guitar player. And Dominique and I, she's the bass player and singer. She's we've had bands since like 1992. I've had. I mean, I'm always in a band. I'm always going to be in a band. Yeah. I, I just, whether the Go Go's are the famous band yeah. and the successful band, right. but I don't care. I'm, I just want to be in a band, you know? <laughs> so I play around Austin. We got gigs coming up, and oh, uh, it's a rock and roll band. It's all females, and it's great. Like, you would love it. I'm going to come see you when I'm in Austin. Okay, good. Thank you for talking. Thank you. Did you feel like we covered enough? This is awesome. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. That was fun. I, I liked her. And that was, uh, if, you, if you somehow just tuned in the middle, <laughs> just started in the middle, that was Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's, her memoir, All I Ever Wanted. Comes out next Tuesday, March 31st. You can pre-order it now. The Go-Go's documentary premiered at Sundance in January. It will be on Showtime later this year. My special... End Times Fun continues to be on Netflix, along with my other two specials, which I gather are getting a little juice because of the new one. I don't think Thinky Pain has been in the rotation in a while. I fucking did that years ago. But I think Thinky Pain, Too Real, also directed by Lynn Shelton, and uh, the new one, End Times Fun, directed by Lynn Shelton, who's still here in the room. You can watch them all. And my buddy uh, Tom Segura's is on well as well. Tom, I'm part of a cluster. Bert Kreischer, uh, Hey Big Boy is on, and uh, Ball Hog, Tom Segura's new one is on. We are like some sort of a weird uh, quarantine cluster of stand-up specials. And now I'm going to play the guitar through a pedal, which I don't usually do. <laughs> Thank you. 
Boomer lives.